everybody, I'm Brooke and I want to welcome you to Freedom. Whether you're joining us online or in person, thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Whether this is your first time or you've been part of our church for a while, your next step to get connected at Freedom is to text GUEST to 706-651-8373. We want to give you a look at a few things coming up for you and your family around Freedom. Middle and high school students, be sure to register for our winter retreat before December 15th. This year's retreat will be January 15th through 17th. Join us for a powerful weekend of experiencing God and growing closer to God personally. Simply go to www.freedombiblechurch.net slash students for more information and to register today. This Christmas, we want to invite you and your family to a special Christmas Eve celebration on December 24th at 6 p.m. Before you turn to the gifts under your tree, come celebrate the greatest gift ever given that none of us could have ever earned, the gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For more information about anything you've heard today, connect with us online or email info at freedombiblechurch.net. Today we are continuing our message series, The Gift, by looking at the significance and symbolism of the gift of frankincense that the wise men gave to Jesus. Take a moment to prepare your hearts and minds for learning from God's Word. So let me ask you this, when you think of a manger scene, what comes to mind? Probably something that's sitting on your mantle right now in your home, or something that, that you've uh, uh, seen in someone's yard. I mean, for me, when I visualize a manger scene, it takes me all the way back to my childhood with those blow mold nativity sets. Have you ever seen one of those? Check this out. I think we've got an image for you. This is what comes to mind when I think of a manger scene. When I think of the nativity scene, I think of these awesome blow mold nativities. Now, these things were fantastic. I mean, as you can see, they have brightly colored wise men. You've got some shepherds, some sheep. You've got, of course, Joseph and Mary and Jesus. But the best part about these blow mold nativity sets was that you could put a light bulb in them and light them up. I mean, you could put a bulb in Jesus and he would glow. I mean, it was amazing. The problem, the problem with that nativity set, and quite honestly, most of the nativity sets that we have in our homes today is that they are a big, fat lie. Listen, Jesus' birth looked nothing like that. And I'll be honest with you, it doesn't look anything like the nativity set that you have in your home right now. I know, right? Some of you are like, I can't believe this. If you're watching online, people are in shock in this room right now. But here's the fact. Listen, there weren't just three wise men. More than likely, there were dozens. An entire caravan came to worship and offer gifts to Jesus. Also, the time frame is all off. The time frame is completely messed up. The wise men and the shepherds were never together. 
Their paths never crossed. So the fact that you have wise men and shepherds in your nativity set right now, it's wrong. The shepherds were there when Jesus was born. The wise men showed up much, much later. Somewhere between 18 to 24 months later. Jesus and Mary, listen, Jesus and Mary, by the time the wise men show up, Joseph, Jesus, and Mary are not in Bethlehem in a manger. They're living in a house. They're at home by this point. And the fact is, when the wise men show up, Jesus wasn't an infant. In fact, he was more like a two-year-old. Now let me ask you, how many of you have ever had a two-year-old, raised a two-year-old? Raise your hands. Those of you online, raise your hands if you've raised a two-year-old. All right, let me ask you this. Have you ever been around a two-year-old? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Two-year-olds are no fun. I know, I'm sorry, they're just not. As a matter of fact, before I had kids, I would judge parents of two-year-olds. <laughs> I would. I'd be like, you know what? These parents have no clue what they're doing. Their kid is completely out of control. You'd be sitting there, you know what I'm talking about, and you guys did the same thing. You're judging me right now, but you did the exact same thing. Before you had kids, you judged parents of two-year-olds. Because you'd look at them, you'd be in a restaurant, and what would their kid be doing? Screaming at the top of their lungs. You're like, what is wrong with those parents? Do something about your kids. And then the kids, they would bang on the table and they would scream or you'd be walking through the mall and they'd just throw themselves out in the middle of the floor. You had to step over them to keep going. And so listen, I'm mean, telling you, every time I'd see, I'd be like, what is wrong with these parents? And I would absolutely 100% judge them right in that moment. Like, these parents are awful. And then I had a two-year-old. And I realize you do not negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> you don't. You do not negotiate with terrorists. I mean, I know when we had, when our kids were, when our boys were two years old, I can go through instance after instance of them falling out in the middle of the mall of Georgia, right in front of the Disney store, going, What is wrong with you, kid? You must, your mother has not done a great job of raising you. <laughs> or we'd be in a restaurant and all of a sudden they just start screaming at the top of their lungs or taking black beans and just saying you know what this looks like a great idea let me just put this in my hair that's what two-year-olds do and you do not negotiate with terrorists listen when you're a parent of a two-year-old you actually become the worst parent ever and you're happy you're like kid whatever you want i will give it to you just stop what you're doing just stop it. Whatever you're doing, you become the worst parent when your two-year-old is out of control. Like, kid, you want my iPhone? Here, take it. Play Baby Shark for the 90, 900 millionth time. I don't care. You want candy? Great, you can have candy. You want Mountain Dew? Sure, you can have Mountain Dew. Just stop whatever you're doing. You become the worst parents ever when you have a two-year-old. Now, I don't know about you, but this begins to change the way I picture the birth of Jesus and the nativity scene and the wise men showing up not to worship an infant, but to bow down and worship and offer gifts to a two-year-old. A highly energetic two-year-old. Changes your picture, doesn't it? 
makes you think at what the wise men did and when they did it in a completely different way. Well, today we're going to continue our series called The Gift. And throughout this Christmas season, what we're doing is we're walking through the gospel or the, the, the story in Matthew chapter 2 where the wise men show up and they offer three gifts to Jesus. And in Matthew 2, beginning in verse 10, it says this, When they saw the star, they were greatly, they exceeded, they, excuse me, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the what? House. Not the manger, not the barn, but the what? House. Going into the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped. Then, opening up their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, those are unusual gifts in our day and age, aren't they? Like, we think about gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We're not, that's the gifts they brought, not diapers, passies. And blankets, no. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's what they brought the baby, uh, Jesus, or the two-year-old Jesus. But here's the reality. Those gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were not only incredibly useful, they are deeply spiritual. And here's what I mean. They not only provided for Joseph and Mary, but they prophesied and foreshadowed who Jesus would become. They pointed to the purpose and the reason that Jesus came to this earth. Think about it, gold. We talked about gold last week. We said that gold was a gift that was fit for a king. That gold was incredibly valuable. Now, if you know anything about Joseph and Mary, they were incredibly poor. They were impoverished. And so the fact that they were given gold helped provide for them. And if you're familiar with the story, you know what happens shortly after the wise men leave, Mary and Joseph and Jesus. King Herod seeks after Jesus in order to destroy him, in order to kill him. In fact, he goes to Bethlehem and he has every single boy, two years old and younger, murdered. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that Joseph and Mary take Jesus, and they flee to Egypt. What do you think funded that trip to Egypt? Gold. See, incredibly useful, incredibly applicable to their lives. But not only is it useful, it points to the fact that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. That Jesus is the King of all kings. That He left the glory of heaven came down to this earth, left his kingship in heaven, came to this earth, later died, rose again, ascended back to the Father, and one day he will return and he will show everyone that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Myrrh, we're going to talk about myrrh next week, but myrrh represented his death and his burial. We're going to see that myrrh symbolizes Jesus as our suffering servant. But today I want to talk about frankincense. And uh, how many of you essential, essential oil lovers out there? Anybody? Okay, quite a few. I didn't realize we had so many people that were into snake oils and potions. 
That's awesome. So th- th- some of you are into... It's in the Bible, yes, it is in the Bible, yes. Listen, I don't, I don't know much about essential oils, but all I do, what I do know is this. I know that the moment I get the slightest sniffle, Nicole starts pouring that junk all over my head. Now, my first experience with essential oils, I was sitting in a Starbucks, and I was having coffee with, with this young man. He, was, he felt like God was calling him into ministry, and so I was counseling him, I was talking to him, just kind of helping him walk through that decision, and, and we're sitting in Starbucks, and, and all of a sudden, this guy, he gets the hiccups, and he can't stop. Have you ever had that moment like where you're trying to have a conversation, and all you do is, you know, and just over and over and over again. This guy's got the hiccups, and he cannot stop. Well, behind him, this woman, I could see her, and she's sitting having her own conversation at the table behind us. All of a sudden, she reaches down into her bag, pulls out this case, slowly, dramatically unzips the case, opens it up on the table, and inside this case are all these vials of snake oils. And she's got all this stuff in there, and then she's looking, and she's going through each row and each column, and she finds the one she wants. She takes it out, and it looked a little bit like this. She pulls this out, she opens it up, puts some on her fingers, gets up out of her seat. And I'm watching this happen while I'm having this conversation with this guy. She starts rubbing this oil on the back of his neck without saying anything. She's like, do you mind? We're like, did we have a choice? She starts rubbing oil on him she goes this is peppermint oil i'm like i don't care what it is you're just rubbing a stranger's neck what is wrong with you lady so she's rubbing his neck and she goes this is essential oils it's peppermint oil and it will stop your hiccups do you mind we're like again no choice in the matter then she finally introduces herself which she should have done at the beginning like before you start rubbing somebody's neck you at least need to know their name and so she finally introduced it. She says, These are, this will stop your hiccups. And sure enough, guys, listen, his hiccups stopped. They stopped when she started rubbing that oil. I think it had more to do with the fact that she scared him to death. But I don't know. You judge for yourselves, depending on where you're in the, in, into uh, snake oils or not. But, but, for those of you who don't know anything about frankincense, this is actually a a bottle of frankincense. Frankincense is an incredibly expensive essential oil. I think this thing goes for about 70 bucks for this small little bottle of, of essential oil. So I'll try not to break it for the person who let me borrow it. Um, but it, and, and really, frankincense is kind of the Swiss army knife of, of essential oils. It has tons and tons of purposes and things. Here's just a few of the things. It's, it's effective as an antiseptic. It helps reduce stress. And wrinkles, so I've been told. I put some on my eyes earlier today, and somebody looked at me and said, Oh, hey, Samuel. So I guess it works. <laughs> Helps boost your immune system. It heals wounds. It can kill harmful germs and bacteria. It eases digestion. It acts as a sleep aid. No wonder I'm getting tired up here. I've been sniffing this stuff all day. 
It decreases inflammation and pain. Like all these different purposes of, a, of the, the, a, the oil of the frankincense. But there's also another purpose. See, frankincense was used in the Old Testament by the priest. In fact, frankincense was a key ingredient to the incense that was burned inside the Holy of Holies when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies uh, on Yom Kippur to offer sacrifices. Frankincense was a key element and key part of worship in the Old Testament. In fact, let me just read this to you in Exodus 30. And the Lord said to Moses, it's Exodus 30, 34 through 38, if you want to look at it later. So the next time somebody says, hey, frankincense, you snake oil people, you can go back to this verse and say, listen, these, these essential oils are in the Bible, leave me alone. So here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall be equal part and make and, and make incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. And he goes on to say, you shall beat some of it to very small portions, and you shall put it before the testimony in the tent of meeting. In other words, when you go into the sanctuary, when you go into the tabernacle, when you go into the temple, you shall put it at the tent of meeting. And for those of you who aren't sure, that's where God would meet with the high priest and he would speak to him. He says, you're to put it there. It's where he would speak to Moses. And then he says this, you shall put it there and I shall meet with you. I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. So those of you who bring your cases, you're going to be cut off from the people. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what it means. But you can see that frankincense was incredibly, incredibly viewed in God's eyes. God said, I want you to use frankincense along with some spices to make incense that you would burn before me as an offering to me and it shall be holy and so when the when the wise men give jesus frankincense what are they doing they're pointing to the fact that jesus is our high priest that Jesus is our priest, that he is our high priest. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with priests in the Old Testament, throughout Scripture, they had two primary functions. Priests would, one, offer sacrifices for the sins of the people, and two, they would be representatives of the people before God. They would offer prayer and intercession for the people on behalf of God. They would go in and hear from, from the Lord and then speak to the people. And so, what we see here is that Jesus is our high priest. He not only offers sacrifices, the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, but he also is an advocate for us. But let's talk first and foremost about these two functions. The sacrifices for sin and a representative before God. Let's talk about the sacrifices for sin. You see, the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the moment that happened, they have become, there were two opposing forces at work. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. 
the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Now, our culture doesn't like to talk about sin, does it? Like, sin is just too harsh of a word. Sin is, is just too... It's an outdated term, right? We don't want to say that I sinned. We want to say I, I messed up. I blew it. I made a mistake. But here's the problem. Here's the challenge. Until we understand that God is holy, until we understand that He is holy, we will never fully realize the cost and tragedy of our sin. If we don't understand the holiness of God, we will always have a casual approach to sin. If we don't understand the holiness of God, we will always, always, always have a casual approach to sin. So what does it mean that God is holy? It means simply this, that God is perfect in every single way. He is flawless. He is pure. There is no fault, no wrong, no stain in Him. In fact, holiness is not just an attribute of God. Holiness describes all of the attributes of God. In other words, God's love is holy. God's peace is holy. God's power is holy. God's grace is holy. God's mercy is holy. God's glory is holy. His goodness, His righteousness, His justice, they're all holy. Holiness is the perfection of all of God's attributes. And that is why God hates sin. Because sin is the opposite of all of His attributes. It is, the, it is everything that He is not. And here's the challenge. God is holy, but you and I are not. God is holy and righteous and good in every perfect way, and you and I are not. None of us are. Not a single one of us in this room, and none of you watching online are holy. Only God is. I'm not holy, you're not holy, that nice person at work, that kind neighbor, none of us are holy. We have all sinned, we have all fallen short of God's standard. And until we understand the holiness of God, we will take a casual approach to sin. And we have to understand that God is, is holy and our sin breaks our intimacy with God. God hates sin because it is, the, it is the opposite of who He is. He hates sin because it disrupts our fellowship with Him. He hates sin because it separates us from God. He hates sin because sin steals our joy and destroys our lives. And sin must be atoned for. In order for you and I to have a relationship with God, our sin has to be atoned for. And in the Old Testament, God put in place this system where one day a year, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would make a temporary sacrifice for the sins of all the people. He would walk into the Holy of Holies. He would make a sacrifice, one sacrifice, for the sins of all people. And so once a year, what would happen is the high priest would go before God 
he would go into the tent of meeting, into the Holy of Holies, and he would light the frankincense, and the smoke and the scent of the frankincense would rise to heaven, representing the cries of the people for God to show mercy on them because of their sin. Then the high priest would sacrifice a spotless animal, a perfect animal. He would sacrifice that animal and sprinkle its blood on the mercy seat. He would sprinkle the blood of this animal on this mercy seat, symbolizing the death of an innocent one in place of the guilty ones as a payment for sin. Then the high priest would take another animal, a goat, and he would place his hands on the goat and he would, at that time, he would confess the sins of the people on that goat, symbolically transferring the sins onto the goat. And then the entire community would chase that goat out into the wilderness. The first animal died as a sacrifice, paying the price for the sins of God's people. The second animal, the scapegoat, you probably heard that term, the scapegoat was driven out of the community, symbolizing the fact that sins have been separated from the people of God. Now, seems like extreme, doesn't it? It seems like an extreme measure. Like it's, it's, it's kind of gross. It's, it's, it seems entirely unfair that this innocent one, this innocent goat, would die in the place of the people. I mean, it, it, why would God come up with something like this? Why would God institute this type of, of sacrifice, this type of, of ritual, in order to forgive sins? Here's what we need to understand. We have to have to understand that because God is just. Because God is holy and completely just, he must punish sin. He has to. In order for us to be reconciled to him, sin must be punished. God is holy and he cannot look upon sin. But here's the beauty of it. God is also merciful. And his mercy is also holy. So here's the beauty of what God does. This sacrifice satisfies God's justice. And it also, at the same time, extends God's mercy. You see, the sacrifice for sin that God instituted in the Old Testament both satisfies his justice and his wrath for sin and extends his mercy to sinners. That's exactly what has happened. You see, a price for sin has to be paid in order for sins to be forgiven. The price has to be paid. There's no way around it. There's no way to escape it. It must be paid. So God's holiness, God's holiness, his justice is satisfied. And yet he extends mercy to the people that he loves. That's the power and beauty of this. But here's the problem of this whole system that was set up in the Old Testament. The problem is this, that it was only a temporary 
covering for sin. It was only temporary. Every single year, once a year on Yom Kippur, the high priest would have to go in on the Day of Atonement and make the same sacrifice over and over and over again. Under the Old Covenant, the priest would minister day in and day out for specific sins that they would make sacrifices and offerings for every single day of the year. And on that one day of the year, the high priest would make an, a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for all the sins that were missed throughout the entire year. But every day, over and over and over again, offering the same sacrifices day in and day out for sins. Why? Because this, this system was only temporary. They could never fully take away sin. It could never fully deal with our sin problem. But here's the good news. You and I are not people of the old covenant. We have a new we are under the new covenant. We have a new and better sacrifice. That's where I said when they offered frankincense, they were saying that Jesus is our high priest. I want us to look at a few passages in in Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 9, what we're going to see is this sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And Jesus as our high priest. Beginning in verse 11, it says this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. What is the good things that have come? It's this new covenant that God was instituting. It's this new plan, this way of redemption through Christ. Of the good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent. Not made with hands. That is not of, his, not of this creation. Listen to verse 12. He entered once for all into the Holy of Holies. What would the high priest do? He would enter into the Holy of Holies. To make sacrifices for the sins of the people. And he says that Jesus entered in to the Holy of Holies. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves. But by the means of his own blood, thus securing a what? Eternal redemption. An eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, listen to verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the what? Eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Skip over to verse, uh, chapter 10, beginning in verse 10. And, here, and it goes on to say, And by that will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can what? Never take away sins. But, this is the good news of the gospel, but when Christ has offered for all for all time, a what? Single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. What is this saying? It is saying that Jesus is our high priest. 
that Jesus entered in to the Holy of Holies. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, one sacrifice for all time to take away all the sins of the world. In one sacrifice, Jesus satisfied God's justice and extends God's mercy. In one sacrifice, Jesus takes away all of our sin because Jesus is our high priest. And he doesn't just cover our sins temporarily. No, he covers our sins for all eternity. For all eternity, our sins have been covered because of the sacrifice of Jesus. One sacrifice, not multiple sacrifices, not daily sacrifices, but one sacrifice that takes away all of our sin. Now I want us to go back to Hebrews. I want us to look at, at um, chapter 4, verse 14. And it says this, Since then, we have a great, what? high priest we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast to our confession what is our confession our confession is that jesus is king that jesus is lord that his sacrifice paid the penalty for our sins our confession is the fact that we believe that what jesus did on the cross covers our sin and brings about our redemption but he goes on to say for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin and then verse 16 <laughs> this is this is incredible let us then with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace that, me, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Listen, church, that is the good news of the gospel. That you and I have a great high priest who offered, for him, uh, offered himself once and for all for all of our sins, so that we could be redeemed, we could be forgiven. And the fact of the matter is that He understands our weaknesses. Jesus isn't some high priest off at a distance. No, He came and He was tempted in every single way that you and I are tempted. He went through every trial that you and I will ever face. And He understands us. And He did it all without sin. He knows the struggles we face. He knows the temptations we face. He knows every single bit of it because he is our great high priest who knows our weaknesses, who faced our trials, who experienced our temptations, yet he, he overcame all of it without sin so that he could be our great high priest so that he could offer once and for all a single sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. So when the Magi go to Jesus and they offer him frankincense, 
What they are saying is that this child will grow and he will become our great high priest. And because he is our great high priest, you and I can come to him boldly. We can come to him with confidence, knowing that Jesus has satisfied God's justice so that we can receive God's mercy. Jesus satisfied God's justice so that you and I could experience and receive God's mercy. What did he say? He said, you can draw with confidence near to the throne of God and receive mercy and find grace in your time of need. Why? Because Jesus is our great high priest. You and I, when we come to Jesus, we will find the grace that we need when we need it. When we come to Jesus, we will find the mercy that we need when we need it. Jesus is in heaven right now advocating for us, interceding for us. In other words, when Satan throws his accusations at us, saying, look at that person that claims to be a follower of yours, God. Look at that person. Look at Eric. He claims to follow you, yet he sins constantly. Yet he always is falling short of your standard. And God looks at me, and, but Jesus advocates for me. and says, no, 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 no. Listen, Father, my, my blood has covered him. Your justice has been satisfied so that Eric can receive your mercy. And he says that for every single one of you who are a follower of Jesus Christ. God's justice has been satisfied. His mercy has been extended. Why? Because Jesus took our sin and he exchanges it for his righteousness. So when God looks at each and every one of us that call ourselves Christ's followers, that are, that are surrendered to Jesus as king, he looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Get this, he sees the holiness of Jesus. Not your holiness, because in and of yourself you're not holy. However, this exchange that God has given... He takes our sin and gives us His righteousness, His holiness. So here's the, here's the reality, church. You and I can come to Him today. We can come to Him with confidence. We can come to Him just as we are. We can come boldly. We don't have to cower down when we come before Him. We don't have to be afraid when you come to Him. You don't have to go through these religious rituals. You don't have to speak in the King James language. You just simply come to God just as you are. And what will you find? Mercy. What will you find? Grace. What will you find? Love. Let's pray. I just want to give you a few moments right there at your seats just to, just to come into His presence. Philippians 4 says that let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Listen, the reason you can draw near to the throne of grace right now 
is because Jesus satisfied God's justice. So right there where you're sitting, I just want you to draw near to the throne of grace. For some of you, it may have been a really long time since you've come to him in this way. For some of you, it may have been a long, long time since you've sat before God, before his throne, and just come to him. If you're hurting, if you're hurting, give him your hurts. What did it say? You will receive grace and mercy in your time of need. If you're anxious, give him your anxiety. If you're overwhelmed, if you're tired, if you're worried, if you're exhausted, if you're weak, if you're broken, bring it all before him right now. Lay it all down at his throne of grace. And what he's promised is that you will receive mercy. What he's promised is that you will receive grace. Why? Because our great high priest made a way for you and I to come boldly, to come boldly before the throne of grace. And so, Father, that is what we want to do right now. We want to come boldly before your throne. We want to come boldly before you, God, knowing that when we do, you offer us mercy. Your justice has been satisfied through the sacrifice of Jesus. And God, we come and we beg for your mercy. Listen, if you're here and listening or watching online and you've never placed your faith and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, you too can come boldly right now. Simply acknowledge that you are a sinner. And believe that Jesus' death on the cross paid the penalty for your sin. Surrender to Him as Lord and as King. And what God has promised is that you will receive mercy. Jesus, we thank you for the mercy that we receive through your blood. And we thank you for the symbolism all the way back at your birth with the Magi offering this gift of frankincense, pointing us to the fact that, Jesus, you are our high priest. You offer to sacrifice for our sin, and you intercede and you represent us before God. Help us to rest in those promises and to rest in that truth, to come to your throne boldly and receive mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, church, what we're going to do is we're going to have a time of, of worship, just celebrating the fact that Jesus is our great high priest, that we can come to him boldly. We can come to him and receive mercy. We can come before his throne just as we are. And so we want to continue in this mode of worship, just celebrating and worshiping our great high priest. I also want to remind those of you that want to give to the ministry here at Freedom, you can do so with offering boxes in the back, and, and uh, you can go online to our website if you're watching online. But here's, 
Here's the thing I want you to know about freedom. We are a church that exists to make disciples who love upward, inward, and outward, who love God and love others. And just as we go before God as our great high priest, my encouragement, my challenge to you is to go to that same God and ask him how you can support the ministry of this church. Because I have a feeling he's got an idea. I have a feeling he's got an opinion. I have a feeling that if we go to him and we ask, just like we seek forgiveness, just like we seek mercy, just like we seek him in all different other areas of our lives, I think one of the ways that we can also seek him is in how we give and how we support the ministry. So I just encourage you to do that as we worship him because Jesus is our great high priest. His one sacrifice paid for all of our sin and justifies us before God. Let's worship him, church.